Hey, this is Brandon Voges from Bruton Stroby Studios, and you're listening to Life Force. And welcome to episode 55 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. Now, on today's episode, we are going to talk with Brandon Voges, who is one of the photographers at the studio Bruton Strobe. It's B-R-U-T-O-N-S-T-R-O-U-B-E. If you want to load that up in your web browser and follow along with us while we uh, talk about his images. And uh, we came by him from a web video that you found on the interwebs. Yeah, we're definitely going to link to that video because it's a really cool walkthrough of a commercial shoot. Actually, they did it for fun, basically, right? It was for... Uh, yeah, they it, ended up talking with us on the on the interview about it. Uh, yeah. Well, it was a shot where they did a composite with a paintball battle inside of an office. So <laughs> it was really cool. We kind of followed up and tracked down the guy behind the scenes that put it all of it together and turned out to be Brandon and turned out to be a really great interview also. Yeah, I think that we're finding some of our more interesting interviews from YouTube video guys. There have been a few that we found that way. I love that these guys are doing this stuff. And it's not just sticking a uh, camera in the corner like well, like I did. <laughs> <laughs> they actually put some uh, interesting thought and stuff to the production of this video. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's absolutely cool. Before we get into the interview, Happy New Year to everybody. It's 2008 already. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, have you thought about any photography uh, New Year's resolutions? Mostly related to focusing a little more on stock than portraiture and then in the coming year. Yeah, I've, I'm deciding that mine's quantity and quality. I need a bit more of both. That's probably a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely need more quantity, but uh, I don't want to do more if it ends up being garbage. So, yeah. Then we'll see where it goes. Uh, that's kind of my goal for this year. I want to make my uh, stock photo collection bigger. Just got accepted with Getty, so I want to start posting over there as well. Way to go, man. Thanks. That'll be fun. That's awesome. We had gotten a question from an email. Someone had asked about using music on online presentations. And while it's cool, it's really nice to do and definitely livens up your presentations and slideshows and things like that. One thing to think about when you're posting something out there is if you're going to use the latest pop hits and things like that, you're possibly could run into some issue with legal copyright. So definitely take a, take the time to look at the music that you're going to be using and the rights and licenses that are attached to it. There have been some that I used on my podcast and I've written to the band via email through their website or something like that and gotten an email back from them that said, yep, no problem, go ahead and do it. So it's it's always good to have that before you post anything out there, before you get a, a letter from someone's lawyer. Right. And a lot of times they will give you permission to or just ask you to credit them somewhere on your website. Another option is doing a Google search for royalty-free music, and you can find all sorts with the podcasting craze that's going on right now. A lot of artists are kind of promoting themselves that way, and you can kind of find some cool stuff that way as well. There's lots of different resources out there to find stuff that you can use, so um, take the time and make sure that you're safe before you go posting stuff. Right. Uh, we also got our first Jackster voicemail through our voicemail link on our website, so uh, I thought it'd be cool to play that. Right. I'll play it here, and then we can we can talk about the answer. Okay. Hello, studiolighting.net. I have a question for you. I want to know the difference between or how a shoot-through softbox and a regular softbox would differ. 
You can buy just a regular translucent white umbrella and shoot through it with your strobe, or you can buy a softbox. How do they compare? What are the what are the benefits of one over the other? This is my question. Thank you. Bye. Okay. I think we could tackle that one. Sure, yeah. So they're asking the the big question is the difference between a shoot-through umbrella and a regular umbrella. Right. So um, some umbrellas are designed so that the light can be facing into the umbrella, but turned around so that you're firing through it into your subject rather than the traditional way. Yeah, well, some of those differences are going to be what the material is of the reflective umbrella. If it's a silver inside of the umbrella, then you're going to get a little more specular highlight to it. If you're doing shoot-through, it's going to be a translucent white, so you're going to get more of a soft box feel. What happens with the umbrella is that light enters the umbrella and gets bounced all over the place and comes out the front of the umbrella from many, many directions. So the color of the inside of the umbrella does affect specularity. But the big thing that makes it the light soft is the fact that it's coming from multiple directions, so it'll wrap around more. And if you turn the umbrella around and fire through it, you still have the light bouncing around inside of it, but then a lot of it is allowed to pass straight through and come out in many different directions as well. And so you have an extra layer of of diffusion between the light source and the subject. So not only do you have the multiple directions that the light is coming, but it's also being diffused by the shoot-through umbrella. And then probably the other question that would be a follow-up to that is what's the difference between a shoot-through umbrella and a softbox? Since basically your light source being on the light source side of the light modifier is going to be very similar to a softbox, what would be the difference of it? Well, the big difference is where the softbox is going to contain that light that is going into your diffusion material. So it's going to help focus that light forward. And it's not going to be bouncing all around. It's going to it's going to give you a more focused, a little bit better control than you might get through a shoot-through umbrella. But in terms of the light that actually falls on your subject, it's going to be fairly similar. Right. And there is one other alternative, which I've seen a lot of and getting kind of popular, is the Brawley box, which kind of combines a softbox with an umbrella. The light actually bounces around inside of the umbrella and doesn't shoot through it. But on its way out, it goes through another diffusion material that is actually covering the opening of the umbrella, kind of like a softbox umbrella. So that, again, is going through another diffuser before it reaches the subject, and it'll, ha- it'll, it'll put some softness to the light as well, and you'll have a little less of that, that hardness that's associated with a more direct light source. So basically, you will get a little bit of a harder light from a typical silver reflector umbrella. Cool. Well, we also had another question. It seems to be we're asking, answering a lot of questions tonight. This was someone that mentioned something in the Flickr group. They had asked about how do you add an image to the poll. And it's probably not a bad idea to just do a little quick refresher. If you have an image that's on Flickr, uh, if you go up to the top, there's a little button right above your image that says send to group. And if you click on that, you can scroll down to the group that you're subscribed to. In our case, it's the light source group. And when you select that, it's just going to go ahead and add that image right into the poll. So... If you're wondering how to do that, that's how you can do it. Awesome. Well, we talked about New Year's. Did uh, you do anything photography related over Christmas, or um, I did some. Gifts? Well, I didn't. I didn't get a whole lot of gifts. I think my family's afraid to buy me photography stuff now <laughs> <laughs> because my my request list has gotten so obscure, and I don't think they get enjoyment out of buying things that they don't understand what it does. So <laughs> they kind of stay away. But, uh, say what's Sakonic? Yeah, they're like, yeah, I don't really understand what that is. I'm just gonna skip. Um, <laughs> but I did some shooting, you know, 
just some general stuff around the house with the kids since I had some time off and experimented with some some stuff I wanted to do in my home studio that I've been thinking about. So I had a good time. And we got together for a small shoot the one evening. That was cool. Yeah, that was fun. There's some pretty cool images. I stuck a couple of them in the uh, in the pool. Nice. Uh, I actually did something that I haven't done in a long time. It, it kind of got me excited again. Like I was at my in-laws down in Charlotte, and I actually took the time and was kind of shooting a little bit more photojournalist style. So I was trying to maybe put together some sort of a visual story instead of just, oh, here's so-and-so with a gift or this with, you know, with here's the tree, here's the packages, here's, here's so-and-so doing this or that. And I tried to capture some things from different angles. So that way it might have a little bit more of uh, interest and fun to it. I think I'd heard Vincent Versace talking about it on a, on an interview one time where he was saying about, he tries to shoot his holiday photos as though he was shooting it for a story. Right. And I've heard a couple you know, uh, professional photographers talking about this. And the more I got thinking about it, I'm like, hmm, it's like, that is so much more interesting than just, you know, falling back into the role of taking, you know, just, oh, you need to get a snapshot of a cousin or an uncle or, you know, an aunt or whatever. It, it was fun to do. And actually, now that I'm looking back through the images, I like them a lot better than, than just, you know, two people standing, oh, stand beside the tree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's kind of fun to think about doing stuff like that and get out of uh, kind of like the ruts that you've been in. Right. And again, the, the images are way more exciting, when, I think, when you look back through them and they're that way. So it's a uh, holiday photojournalism. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> what you have to do. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to work. What's the next holiday coming up? Valentine's Day. Yeah, well, yeah. you might not want to <laughs> approach your Valentine's Day that way. Oh, maybe. We'll, yeah, I, Something tells me that that's, you want to be paying attention on that. Yeah. That's of putting behind the camera. Maybe President's Day or something like that. There we go. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Christmas, I got a book. I got Vincent Versace's Welcome to Oz. Oh, I nice. Approach to digital still photography with Photoshop. I was wondering how that book would be. You know, I was, I had always thought that the book was a cinematic approach to digital still photography. I had always missed the with Photoshop part of it. Oh, okay. And it's kind of interesting because it, well, Vincent's known for a lot of his, his quotes that he, he throws around in a lot of his interviews. One of my favorites is Photoshop is not a verb, it's a noun. Right. <laughs> it's like the book kind of talks about improving images and making them more cinematic and things like that through Photoshop. But the afterword at the end, which I thought was really, really interesting, was from uh, Jay Mizell. And, well, let me just read this first part because I think it's great. He says, when Vincent asked me to write this piece, I protested that I'm an anti-Photoshop and anti-post-shot manipulation. And generally, I think it's all an excuse for slovenly thinking and seeing. Vincent said, fine, it's important for readers to know all sides of the question, which I thought was really cool. It really sums up that you know, Vincent's trying to talk about how you can build an image and how you can make the most out of an image through using your digital darkroom. And then you have someone who's been shooting for, you know, like Jay Mizell for how many decades? Right. And who who you're asking to sum up this piece and he's the you know, the anti digital darkroom guy, sort of. <laughs> right. So it's it's an interesting book. I look forward to uh getting through it. I'm kinda like on the fence what I think about it. So uh I'll be interested to get through it a little bit more and and see how I feel about it when I get a little bit more through it. Cool. You'll have to let us know. Yeah, I'll keep you guys posted. In the meantime, we should get into uh, listening to Brandon Voges. 
Well, on this edition of The Late Source, we have a guest I've been anxious to talk to. Um, the other week, Bill sent me a video of these these crazy guys in an office uh, shooting paintball. And Bill said, we got to get this guy on the show. And I agree. His name's Brandon Voges. He's a commercial photographer, does some amazing, amazing work. And we'll have links over at studiolighting.net where you can go and check out some of his portfolio. And if you want to follow along with some of the images that we have here of a uh, of Brandon's, uh, you can go to uh, brutonstroby.com, B-R-U-T-O-N-S-T-R-O-U-B-E.com. Uh, thanks for being on the show with us. It's a uh, holiday season here, and we caught you right in the middle of a shopping trip, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I was just uh, stopping at the old Target to grab a few things, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what we can do with technology these days. So tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, photography and where your creative career has led you to where you are now. Um, it's kind of a kind of a funny story. I've, I've come at the whole the whole business a little bit backwards. I started off in uh, in advertising. I worked at a, a company called Zipatoni for seven years. I, I went there straight out of school. I was an intern, and um, I was really pretty lucky timing wise. They got busy, and I got hungry and didn't want to work at McDonald's. So they offered a job and I took it. And actually, I didn't finish school. So I started off in their uh, photo retouching department. And from there, I moved on to more of the, the creative side of the business and was an art director for a while. And then I started doing video work for them, just kind of uh, little things, and then ended up in their interactive department. So I kind of, I was there for seven years, but it was almost like having five different jobs while I was there. So it was pretty nice to have that kind of range of experience. And then one of my good friends was one of the owners of Bruton Stroby, um, the studio I work for now. And I just, photography was always a hobby and I was always loved it. And I always kind of considered myself an image maker before anything. And so I thought it would be, be fun and interesting to, to kind of get to the source of the images and, and actually take the pictures. And that's kind of how I ended up there. Your work is amazing. I love when looking at it, the lighting is so, so clean and so crisp and, uh, the post-processing is great. Then that's one of the topics we'd love to talk about with, with you a little bit more about is um, like looking through your Flickr images. It looks like you're extremely proficient in Photoshop with your, your post-processing and everything. Yeah, the, okay. um, again, that, that kind of experience from the majority of my career at, at Zipatoni was as a retoucher. Nice. And, uh, I started in a department that had three people and we ended up with, you know, 30 at one point. So wow. that was... Uh, that's a huge part of my work. And again, like as I'm, as I'm shooting, I, I kind of think, I think ahead like that because, you know, most photographers learn photography and then learn retouching where I learned retouching and then photography. It's kind of an interesting, helps me look at things a little differently, I guess. That is really interesting. What are some of the things that you would say that you do differently having talked to other photographers? I mean, do you have a final um, image in mind? I guess and, and it's actually ends up, at some points, it's kind of a, it's an interesting conversation to me to have with clients on set because in my head, the pictures that I'm taking are never final. Right. You know, I'm looking <laughs> at this, I'm, you know, in my head, I'm just like, okay, well, this will work for this, this, and this after the fact where they're looking at it and they're kind of going, oh no, this isn't. And so a lot of times <laughs> we'll have to do, you know, process a low res version of it and do a quick comp and go, Hey, this is what I was talking about there. Oh, okay. Wow. So, you know, a lot of times when it's the, my final images are, 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 you know, quite a bit different than the raw images that I'm shooting. But knowing the tools that I have at my disposal is, helps me shoot things in a way that maybe some people wouldn't wouldn't do it because I know what I'm going to do with it after the fact, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Do you, I mean, it seems like you do a lot of compositing. So does that become tricky to explain to a client too? 
Yeah, it's um, I found that the easiest way to do that is to just show him. You know, the this process of five images that I'm gonna splice together, and and it's I always tell him, hey, this is a very crappy. I'm doing a very crappy version of what you're gonna get in the end, and I, you know, I do the kind of five minute, you know, show and tell, I guess, and and that that helps a lot. That's great. So now, like the video that we saw with the uh, the paintball shoot, is something like that a video that you might show to a prospective client and say? This is kind of our idea of compositing. This is how we've done it. These are the pieces, and this is how it goes together. Does it help them jive with what their project's doing then? Yeah, and besides me wanting an excuse to shoot somebody with a paintball gun and get it on video, <laughs> um, we, we pretty much did that. We had a leftover. The, the kind of backstory on that piece was we had a, um, a leftover set where we had painted all of this office furniture all white and clean and you know, the people uh, in it all had white props, and it, so the picture was about that. So I'm sitting there in a studio, and we've got this all white office. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be funny if you just went in there and just gunned every, you know, gunned the whole place up with paint with a paintball gun? <laughs> and so we had, kind of funny enough, we were going to throw an event for our clients, and it was going to be a paintball party. Where there's a couple places around um, St. Louis that do that type of thing. So. I was like, let's make this the invitation, and then we can videotape it. And then really, what were we've been using it for? It's kind of a it's kind of a fun little sales tool for our reps to go out and say, hey, this is you know, here's the picture um, that we did for the invitation. Then here's the here's a video and kind of a behind the scenes because it seems as of lately, people find that found it a lot more interesting than I expected to be honest. When we when we put the video on YouTube, I was like, oh well, let's put it up and and uh, see what happens. And we've ended up with almost a hundred thousand views on that thing i kind of i was i was blown away it's been, <laughs> that's it's been cool if you uh if if any of, of you guys have not seen that video you got to go and check it out and we'll put links to it in the show notes but um it's quite a production and it's what's really fascinating to me is just watching how you kind of build each piece of the of the puzzle so to speak so when you're approaching a shoot you have the whole final image in your head and then you know what pieces you want to get together um for the most part, I would, you know, I would say that in any creative process, you kind of work through things and, you know, I kind of have an idea what it's going to do, but, you know, sometimes I'll put something in there and I'll, I'll go, oh man, I've got to change this, this and this because it doesn't feel right or it doesn't look right. Where, you know, like in that one in particular, you know, I kind of knew where people were going to be placed and had the ideas of, you know, I, I knew that it was going to shoot Matt in the face, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and some of those things, but, you know, when we got done I, and I put, composited matt um matt was is one of our sales rep producers and he was actually the person getting shot in the face but he was also the guy that was actually shooting the gun um cool. but when i put him in there the, the the clock and the the bulletin board behind him they it just it felt really weird and where they were sticking out of his arm and you know so things like that i'm just like i wouldn't have thought to i was going to move that around beforehand but in the end i was like oh i'm gonna have to to change locations of some of these things and when it comes to lighting a composite scene like that, is that tricky? And how do you do you keep the lighting all the same through the whole shoot, or you know, you get concerned right. with sh- shadows and? Um, yeah, there's really there's not, especially like when it comes to things that are strictly compositing. It's really kind of a bad idea to to change lighting, you know. And I, I don't do it all that often unless I absolutely have to, um, because you know, even if you get start to get it shadows in places where you didn't have it before because you're moving lights around and then when you try to put those two pieces together they don't blend seamlessly because you've got this new shadow in the new picture and so keeping things lit 
the same as you're going through the thing. I try not to even move the camera if at all possible. If I, you know, sometimes I know I have to zoom in to get a bigger image for something or put on a different lens for certain things, but I try to, you know, I'll, I'll mark the camera very specifically. You can measure height and things like that to make sure that even when things get bumped sometimes, it ends up, can make things a bit of a hassle putting them back together. So, like if the uh, desk is at a slightly different angle or something. Right, yeah. For it's just you know sometimes you, you'll do something and you'll I'll have to shoot something else and I'll have to come back and if I don't take a measure on the camera I'll have to spend you know half an hour making sure I got it exactly right because if I'm just a few inches lower a few inches higher sometimes it can make things and it might not be immediately noticeable but you'll know something's off. Okay. I'll have to look at it and I'll go there's something's wrong here I'm gonna have to you know you might have to do a couple experiments and piece things together again and go okay I had the camera too low I need to raise it up six inches or whatever it is. It sounds very tedious and time-consuming, but, I mean, the end result is just amazing. Well, and, it, it, it might, but it's, you know, as you're doing it, that was, the, that particular, the video, the, the, the paintball thing, it was, it looked like we were having fun in there, and that was just like a tenth of some of the things that we were doing. It was hilarious. We had a, we had a really good time, <laughs> and it's easy to, to make things a little fun and wacky when you don't have, you know, a client right there with the concerns that they have, where we kind of, we have free reign and makes a lot of fun. That is cool. And, and shooting a coworker in the back with a paintball gun has got to be fun, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, it's kind of funny. We're standing there, and I, I was like, well, let me, I'll just shoot you in the back a few times, and then I'll use those, you know, I'll put you in the set, and I'll use those pieces because there's a lot of fabric on the back of the jacket, and we can use those um, <laughs> paintball pieces for or the, the splatters from your jacket to put on the front of the lapel of the, of the final image. And so he stood, you know, 15 or 20 feet away, and, I don't know why we thought it wasn't going to hurt that bad, or I don't know, maybe I'm just, I tried to kind of glance it off his shoulder, and it just really didn't go well. He, it, there was probably five people out there. We laughed for 15 minutes. It was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. When he pulled his shirt up and he saw the big red weld on the back, I was like, ooh. And then we just immediately cut to him with a huge, we put this huge styrofoam thing in his lapel to protect him. It was, it was a fun day. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, now, one thing that I know, comes through in all of your images is how how good you are at posing and getting people to look like they're really into whatever it is that they're doing. Do you have any tips or strategies for that? How do you get these people in, like in the zone? It's um I'll tell you what the I feel probably the biggest challenge I ever deal with is it's not lighting, it's not equipment, it's, it's trying to create an environment where you get legitimate honest emotion out of people. So if I take pictures of people at a bar and they're supposed to be having the time of their life with their best of friends, you have to kind of take the time to, to get them comfortable. You have to start joking around. You have to, it's, it's really, it's kind of difficult for tips. It's just, I, I always try to, whatever the environment is supposed to be like that I'm supposed to capture, I try to create that environment. Like I said, if it's people having fun, if it's, um, you know, a more serious note, you kind of have to pump people up to, to, mood that they're supposed to be in if you want to get that type of look out of them it's, it's, uh, so a lot of the things are really hard to fake. yeah that's what and it comes through in, in your images you can tell that these people are really having a good time or you know laughing about something they're not just smiling like they're supposed to be laughing right Dude. thanks I, i'm lucky in the in the business that we're in you, there not aren't too many jobs that come along where they want somebody crying you know or right or, hey we want to <laughs> we want to sell something that uh look like their cat just died or something you know <laughs> Usually, usually based around pretty fun and happy, and you know a lot more on the positive side of things, which uh, which makes it a lot easier, I guess. 
And there, I noticed that a lot of the images that you shoot are either outdoors or in mixed lighting, kind of indoors near windows. Do you mm-hmm. find that to be a challenge? Do you prefer to work with natural or artificial light? How do you control that environment? Um, at Fruit and Strawberry, we've got a fantastic facility, and the, the, the studio itself is such an amazing place. But in all reality, I love being outside of the studio because it, it opens up so many more options. Or I tend to, if at all possible, I tend to use as much natural light as I can and then kind of shape it a little bit if I need to kind of based on the situation. There's a, a job we did recently where there's a, a gentleman at his desk at this really nice house, and, and it was kind of a, an office scene. And we had him kind of right next to this nice window, and he had this really nice light coming across his face, but it just it didn't feel the way I wanted it to. So what I did was it was a little harsh and a little little too drastic. So I took and we cut a um, like a frosted plastic trash bag, and put it over the window, but then that cut the light down too much. Then we put a strobe outside the window, pumping through that along with the natural light, and it gave us the feel of the light we wanted. So, and then on top of that, we had a special bulb that fits into like a lamp socket. Okay. It'll flash with their strobe, so it looked like the, the lamp was on, and then I had a light behind that that was hidden behind, you know, it was off frame and was lighting him from the opposite side, so it looked like the lamp light was coming from the actual lamp, which really wasn't doing much to him so it's it's almost like thinking of it more like it's in a cinematic sense where it's, it's more of kind of what it should feel like if you were really there i guess okay now that's an excellent idea i had never thought of taking one of those i had always discounted those light socket strobes as as a tool that i really didn't want to play with all that much but i had never really yeah, thought of use for them i've done that i've done we've got a couple stick light strobes that we'll use and sticking things like that or they can be difficult to work with. They can be really handy in the right situation. They can they can really help. I'm gonna be googling that one. Stick light strobe. <laughs> what what is a stick uh, light strobe? Stick light strobe is just a small speedo connection, uh, and it's just a tiny. The stick light's about the size of a like a cigar or something, and um, it, it like a lot of times I'll hide it behind something or run run the camera up the back back side of a lamp and and clamp it inside where the lampshade is, huh. and then the the lamp the lamp will turn into a strobe as well. That's really cool. Now, do you end up dealing with mixed color temperatures then in some of those situations? Yes, and that's always an interesting problem. Some of that stuff you can fix in, in Photoshop after the fact, and I've done that a few times, but if at all possible, I'll, I'll try to I just try to gel everything as close as I can. It's, it's always a tough one to deal with. I have no, oh, no easy answers for that. If anybody does, please tell me. <laughs> right. Yeah, sometimes the business we're in is, it's all about solving problems, and sometimes the, the problems are really hard, and the answers aren't easy, you know? That's cool. While we're, while we're kind of on the topic of tricky lighting, some of the bar images that are in your portfolio on the Broughton Strobe site really do look great. How do you get good bar images? Because yeah, is this even really a bar? And if it is, what did you um, do to kind of achieve that? It, it's funny, because you'd think that places like a, a bar or images like that where it's dark and kind of, you know, you would be surprised how many lights you actually use to light the darkest shots I do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like you'd think that, cool. you'd think that, oh, well, it's dark. There just must be a couple. And it's like, I use twice as many lights for the dark shots as I do for the light shots. It's kind of funny. But I don't know. I, I guess I just, I, I try to approach it where I, I'm standing there and I'm looking from the camera and I'm like, okay. Um, and almost all, I think all the shots that you're, I don't know which one specifically you're talking about, but almost everything I do that's like that is in an actual bar on location. So, 
Okay. I just tr- I try to think of if this was you know if I was a, a lighting designer and somebody came in and said light this place uh, you know as, as being a bar and it just kind of had free reign I try to think of it like that so hey why don't what if there's a little a uh, little kick of light maybe there's uh, something off camera like a candle on a table that's gonna bring this up light to the to the person that's sitting here or you know well there would probably be a, a neon sign over here so there's gonna have to be this you know, really odd colored red light. So let's gel that light really red and, and come over here. And I just kind of try to think of almost like my dream scenario of what the bar would be like if I could light it like anything I wanted. If that makes sense. Like yeah. when it comes to like what it would really be like. It's, uh, yeah, bars are really, really tricky. Yeah, it would seem like it. Now, when you are on location like that, are you taking full power strobes or do you sometimes, are you, you mentioned strobes before the show. Are you a portable strobe pocket? Flash kind of guy, or um, I've got a, a pro photo location kit that's battery operated. Okay. Um, so seven Bs. I can't. I can't. I think that's the right number, but I don't think I've ever brought hot lights to a, a set like that. Just because there's usually, if I shoot, you know, ninety percent people, and people like to move around, and I don't like to restrict people as that much. And so, you know, unless it's a specific, they want a um, flash blur or something like that, that where I need to burn in certain things. I try to light everything strictly with strobes so that. I make sure I get the action frozen. Okay. Yeah, that's that makes sense because if you had to, if you were trying to use hot lights, you'd be looking at slower shutter speeds and you'd have motion blur right. to deal with and all that. Okay. Exactly. And if I was that, you know, if we were going to do a shot of a, a bottle of soda on the on the table or something like that, where the camera's on a tripod and nothing's going to move, that's one thing. But like I said, people are people are fidgety. They like to move. I was wondering if we could talk about one of your images that you have on Flickr. That's it's probably one of my all-time favorite Flickr shots, and it it might be because it's it's my sport that I like to do. Um, the image is titled "Blood, Sweat, and Gears." Okay, it's a man and a woman. They're in a, a bicycle race, and you have the the gnarly face going, and there's a uh, lots of sweat, lots of drama, very contrasty lighting. But what really mm-hmm. jumps out at me with this image is the processing. Because it looks like I could, the the crispness, it looks like I could cut myself on how sharp this is. Right, and, right. <laughs> and it it appears like it's a little bit of an HDR technique or something like that. Is there anything that, I mean, how much would you be willing to share on the processing of this image? I, I don't think it's any huge secret. It's just a ton of sharpening. And a funny thing, the back biker, is, his name is Eduardo, and, I, and he's one of my good friends, and I can't wait to tell him that. You called him a woman because he'll think that's oh. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, in defense, he looks like a fast woman. <laughs> very. I'll tell. Him, I'll make sure that I'll tell him. I'm like, hey, there's guys. That you look like a very speedy woman. The gist of that shot is, I mean, obviously there's a, a lot of of processing in that one, and a, a lot of a style that I like is that really sharp. I like and certain things, especially on in a shot like that where you've got the, the crazy intensity and the dramatic sky and the light, you know, that shot was all about that single split second, super intense moment. And the sharpening helps that a ton. You know, you can't just use that on everything, but I don't know. I don't have settings or anything with me, but it's, it's a series of sharpening. So sometimes the sharpening is really wide. Sometimes it's really small and you just kind of, I mean, there's Photoshop tools. You can, you know, the Unsharp Mask tool just is one of them that you can just screw up things all the time. You just kind of have to play with it. And, you know, I come up and I'll save myself actions. If I do something that I really like, I'll go back and do it again and save it as an action. And then I'll just 
play that action on an image and it can give me the same effect, you know, six months down the road when I want to do it again or whatever. That's cool. Now that, yeah. that was guess, kind of a, a two part question to that is how do you really determine when too much is too much? And is there really too much? Is it, is it pretty much subjective? And like you said, there are a bunch of different Photoshop sharpening techniques as well as countless third party ones. Sure. Do you have any particular feeling as to which one it would be a preference of yours? Um, you kind of nailed it when you, when you said it's just subjective because it really is. And it's really, it's very dependent on what, what you want the image to feel like. Is it, you know, in the context of things, is this make sense or is this the style that's going to make sense for this ad or this picture or what, what do you want it to feel like? And so, you know, sometimes, and, I, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody, I'll get a favorite thing. Oh, I really love really sharp or really desaturated, really oversaturated, whatever it is. And I'll start trying to apply it to the wrong thing. Right. <laughs> and it ends up, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, wow, this is terrible. What have I done? And, you know, it's, uh, I'm like a command Z fiend. I'm always <laughs> undoing things that I do because I'll, I'll take it. And, and it's a really, it's actually a great way to look at stuff is to overdo it and then go back. And I'll do that with, um, I use adjustment layers all the time and I'll throw a curve on something and, and I'll push, I'll know that I'm pushing it too far. And then I'll start dialing it back. I'll make it 70%, make it 50%, make it 20%, go back up to 90% and just kind of look at all of it right. and go, okay, well, 65% is just right. 80% was too much. 100% was way too much, even though I thought it might have been good in the beginning. And 20, you know, it's, you just kind of have to, have to use your eyeballs and just do what feels right to you. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Command Z as well. And actually, I kind of, <laughs> lately, I've kind of moved down below that, the undo command to the fade option. And, uh, is that the filter? After um, you do a filter brush or any type of brush stroke or filter on your Photoshop image, under edit, there's an option that's called uh, fade. And then it says whatever, whether it's fade brush, fade filter. And it'll allow you to control the opacity of the last thing that you did. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's, and you can also apply any of your layer modes to it as well. So like if I do a filter and think, oh, that's, that's kind of cool, but then I can go in and switch it to overlay and it'll give that filter a whole other look. I'm that's taking cool. notes. Right <laughs> <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to work in the morning and I'm trying it. I do have I'm, that. I, I'm always just doing it as a layer. So that's, uh, I didn't. It's a fun little tool because you can have a layer that already has a mode applied to it and then you can apply sharpening in a certain method. Interesting. Very cool. I, I do have a question about sharpening because one of the things that I run into a lot is I can make an image look exactly how I want it at web resolution, but then I have trouble if I know the client wants a print getting the same effect. Is there any, how do you uh, handle that? Um, I don't, I don't have a specific, you know, kind of mathematical chart that I'll go to if I, if I'm going to do a sharpening technique to a, a image and then I'm gonna need to, to make it very small and do the same thing it obviously doesn't work it's going to be way too much on the smaller image so a lot of times I'll, I'll try to I'll have the images next next to each other if I need to do the same thing okay and just kind of really watch them very closely and know what you know try to get them to match up as best I can because a lot of times like if I make it if I do an image that's print size and you know the sharpening and stuff when I size it down it just softens up just enough to lose the stuff that I really like about exactly. <laughs> so I have to I have to go back and kind of you know I guess do the, um, the sizing just kind of softens it just enough that I need to give it that pop again to so that it feels like the print size version at the smaller size. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Uh, 
That's that's a good idea to have them both open side by side and try to keep them similar, though. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes because you get you might get drastically different effects with what you think would be a similar or an equivalent setting. You know, with the different sizes. Obviously, if you do something at one pixel at a hundred percent on the big one, you do the same thing on a web size one. It's going to be crunchy as all. Right. Out, you know? <laughs> well, we also were really impressed with the way you use water in some of your photos to leave post-processing a little bit and go back into some of the crazy stuff you, you seem to do in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, if you watch the video of the paintball shoot, I see that you even have the splash coming out of her coffee cup and that's so cool. But there's a couple of photos that are in your Flickr feed where you've used water for hair and it just, it's just awesome. That again was a lot of fun. I did a picture a few years ago of, I had two mannequin heads, and I, I took and was dumping water over mannequin heads and kind of building these wigs to go with mannequin heads, which I thought was kind of fun. And I got done with a picture and I liked it, but I didn't ever really like it enough. I was always like, yeah, I wish I knew a girl that had her head shaved or would shave her head, but that's not a seemingly easy thing to find. <laughs> and so I just kind of, had kind of, just kind of went on and was working on other stuff. And then one of my really good friends, shaves her head for the St. Baldrick's Foundation. The, um, the, you donate your hair to uh, the children with cancer. And so I hear that she's going to do this, and I'm super excited because it's a really cool thing to do for charity. And then I was like, when you get done, can I take pictures of your bald head and throw water on you? And she's <laughs> an incredible cool lady. And so she agreed to it and, and came in. And it was, it was kind of funny. She had been outside at a, um, it was around St. Patrick's Day, and she had went out to the parade or something and had gotten sunburned because I'm guessing her head it wasn't used to getting all that sun and uh, so when she came in I'm, I'm, I'm feeling bad because we're taking pictures of water and just constantly dumping them over her head dumping over her head dumping over her head and, uh, and I was like are, are you okay it feels terrible and she's like it feels so good <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so on the fire that's hilarious that's um, awesome but the, but the gist of that the way that was done we shot her with the right look and the right head position, everything that we like, and shot her completely dry. And then we just stood behind her, had somebody stand behind her and, and pour out of a, just a big picture water over her head. And then Photoshop, I, I pieced together. You know, I'd sit there and as we were shooting them, I'm like, oh, that'd be the perfect flip on her bangs on that side. And um, that's a good, you know, splash on her shoulder. And you just kind of, you kind of try to piece it together in your head and look at it and see if it's going to work. And then, Processed all the files and pieced it together. It was probably, it, it wasn't as many as you might think. It was only about maybe six or seven images, maybe, that came together oh, for that. Oh, wow, really? And, and, yeah, a piece of water together is, is kind of funky. It can be weird. Because <laughs> things, things can look, things can look off and you, you don't, you can't figure out why. Whereas if somebody's, you know, if you're, you're taking somebody's head and putting it on somebody else's head, you can look at it and you can figure out pretty quickly why you know because you're used to looking at humans and proportionally something will feel wrong and you'll be able to figure it out but something that you know doesn't exist or it's just kind of it was kind of weird it was fun now, you use water in some of the other photos that are in your portfolio as well is it just something you like to experiment with or one of the things i really enjoy about it is it's so unpredictable you know i'll have something in my head that i want to do and then start throwing the water around and it'll look i mean you you you, you pop the pop the camera and you turn around to look at the computer and you just have no idea what's going to come up on the screen. That's cool. There's a there's an unpredictability about it that I just I, know, I kind of find it fascinating. It's pretty crazy. Is it easy to light water, or would you say not? We have a set of lights that are incredibly old 
but they're incredibly fast. They don't make them anymore. And the tables are like the size of huge sausages. They're, they're like <laughs> bold. They're huge. They're really loud. They're really scary. They're very dangerous. It's, you have a speedo pack and you pull the plug out when it's charged up, you might get shocked and knocked across a few years. These things are, the, Sounds the, like fun, man. <laughs> the, the strobes we use, if they're charged up and you do something dumb, it's, it's over for you. So you have to be. And mix to be mix really that scary. with water. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And I'll tell you what we've done. Their studio does a, has a lot of food and beverage, and we do kind of flash shots, kind of, you know, one of the things that we're really well known for. And uh, I've seen these huge, scary, loud death lights <laughs> sitting in huge tubs of water because they had to get the light to a certain spot. It's just, it's crazy. Wow. So you go through a lot of interns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, could you stand in that tub of water and walk that light for me, please? He sent a release. Like, I'm not. I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah, well, you know, that's just yeah, uh, well, I should get a pay. <laughs> they're pretty scary, but they, I do just they don't make lights that can they can dump the amount of light that those things can dump and the amount of speed that those guys can. They're just they're so fast. Okay, well, I have another question about some images that I see a theme in your portfolio of the sports images that you have. Mm-hmm. Way cool. I'd like to hear what what your thoughts are in terms of lighting some of these guys because i see some really cool use of edge light and they're kind of outside but it looks dark out can you talk about them a little bit the under armor like football player guy yeah that guy and there's a couple in yeah the ones that are looks like he's on a field but it's at night are actually at um the rams practice facility and those were also shot with this super crazy death strobe um, okay because i wanted to uh I wanted to get him really frozen in an action. And he's actually, he looks like he should be a running back, but he's actually one of the ultimate age fighter guys. Oh, nice. Um, and he, he was a guy that I used to know from a gym I went to, and I just, he teaches these self-defense classes. And we needed a guy that looked like one of those tank running backs. And I was like, hey, I know a guy, and he's even got cool, funky dreadlocks, too. Nice. So we called him up, and there's one where he was running at the camera, yeah, it looks like you're about and, to uh, die. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly the one. I am. Um, I'm having. I'm tremble. I'm in the fetal position right now, remembering <laughs> that picture. Um, but uh, what we took and we we put we rubbed them down with baby oil so that his skin would uh, would beat up with water and resist soaking in the water, and then we spritzed them down a bunch. And he just got in a three point stance, and I was sitting on the ground, and I was like, you know, gulp. Okay, go. And he would <laughs> take off running and, and jump over me or whatever, and. You know, when he was all beaded up with water, his, his hands would, you know, his whole body would jerk to, to start running and all the water would fly off. And without the death strobes, those, you know, we wouldn't get all those little speckly water droplets and, okay. you know, things that make things, you know, a shot like that intense and, and feel like that. So is this done with multiple lights? For that one, I believe I had the two the two edge lights. And, you know, he's on this really dark background. And so I wanted him to, to pop off there and, and kind of be a, a little bit of a silhouette. And then I, I believe we just had one kind of in the front to fill in or so, you know, so that he wasn't too dark and we could see the, you know, the shirt and the shorts and everything. Very cool. Actually, speaking about this image here a little bit more, it, it looks like it would be a metering or lighting ratio nightmare uh, because we have an African-American guy with a very dark complexion right. against a dark background in a white shirt. Right. And the white shirt... Um, has a lot of detail in the highlights and it's not blown out but yet your edge lighting is still really nice strong and very hot as well well i guess one of the things that 
I shouldn't have maybe admit that I will, but I don't, I don't meter anything. Um, <laughs> and I just, I take a picture and I turn around and look at the screen and I go, wow, that's, that's really too dark. I, I'm going to have to turn up the lights a little bit. You know, my, my starting point, if you'd see some of the pictures before, as I first got started on them, you'd think I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely am 99% just eyeballs and trying to, trying to figure out how to get what I can see in my head. But that one in particular, surprisingly, I know, exa- I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't remember that being too difficult to fix. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll and I always shoot in raw for sure. And then I never shoot an image with blown out highlights. I'll shoot an image that looks really dark rather than shoot an image that's too bright. Once you get to white, there's no coming back. And there can be a surprising amount of informa- information in a dark area that you almost can't see. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. So a lot of times whenever I'm in a situation like that, like that one in particular, I'll shoot it a little bit on the dark side to make sure that I have information in the white and then I can lighten the whole thing up enough to get it to work with still, you know, I might have to mask out the jersey or the, the white, the, the parts that I'm worried about the highlights being too bright. Or I might, I might process it a little bit darker, a little bit lighter, and then merge, you know, kind of like bracketing through processing. Okay. And then you can kind of piece them together in that way. Because it's, it's something we deal with on a, on a pretty normal basis and things being too contrasty or, hey, that shirt's blown out on that side. Okay, we'll, we'll process it again, but process it, you know, a stop underexposed, and then I can blend that into the correctly correct one so when you say you're like on a shot like this where you look at the screen to make sure that it looks right for you i, I assume you're shooting tethered on uh on a laptop and, and things, right on a laptop or you know when we're in the studio we've got the you know workstation or whatever but like a lot of times if i need to shoot something that is you know where i need to go really fast or something i'll shoot to a car but i'll always start tethered so that i can look i can check numbers i can make sure whites aren't blown out i can make sure darks aren't zero or whatever i you know i can i can check all the things and make sure my gray balance right all that stuff and then if i get to the point where i know i'm i'm pretty close then i'll pull the pull the tether and put in the card and, and shoot fast if i need to shoot fast that's an interesting theory so it's almost like you have a, a an apple uh light meter instead of a seconic or something like that right there you go. <laughs> digital, yeah digital light meter digital polaroid one other uh you've been doing some shots that Stuff that I've tried to play with and I have uh, been failing miserably, and I'm hoping you might have some techniques for me. You have some really great flare shots. Is there a trick to controlling the type of flare that you're looking for? I mean, in terms of yeah, you know, how do you shape a flare? Is do different lenses give you different flares? Do you do you have all of that, or is this a, is this a post process flare in in the the Mark Flare Under Armour images we're looking at? <laughs> yeah, I hear, I heard Don't something. Tell anybody, Photoshop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> what I'll do is, I mean, if you look at flare, I mean, there there are actually a fair amount of flare type images in my book, and and it's you know it's definitely a, a style that is kind of in right now or or whatever. And so, um, what I'll do is, and sometimes it happens. There's um there were a set of shots where at uh, a place called Elephant Rock in Missouri, if I'm thinking of it. Um. Where it's like a family on top of a kind of a bluff type. Yes, that's area a great shot. Towards like, like a sunset stuff, and we actually shot that on film, believe it or not. And there's no looking at the back of the camera to see if you're flared out or if you don't. Or you know that one was kind of. Uh, some of those were actually real, but 
even if I did get it pretty close, I was always, you know, we got the film back and we've got it, we got it digitized and, you know, I was adding a little bit more or kind of blowing out an edge or doing some stuff like that so that I could kind of control it. But all of them probably other than that were, I run the flare filter on a single black layer, um, like fill a layer with black, run the flare filter and then put it on screen as the layer mode. Okay. And then you don't, you, you, it'll just overlay your image and then I'll, maybe brush in some of the lighter color, you know, like a lighter color or whatever to kind of fill it out. But it's all, I do that all in, all in post. Oh, that's great. I noticed on your website that you mentioned that you're kind of a gadget guy. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite gadgets related to photography or like studio work? You know, things that you have in your bag that you would never, you'd never leave home without, so to speak. Okay. Well, you can call me a nerd. That's completely a big <laughs> pride in that. Yeah, I'm kind of a... a gadget freak when it comes to gadgety tools the big ones that aren't necessarily gadgets that are that I, I kind of can't live without are the laptop and a you know we've got a couple Hasselblad systems that I just can't I just love those things the Profoto 7B the battery powered strobe unfortunately they're not very cheap but I'll tell you what I've been so impressed with how long they'll last and the amount of power you can get them out of out, out of them we've we've bought a second set of backup batteries for those things and i've had to use them maybe twice and i've you know i'll shoot eight or ten hours in a day it's, it's wow. they're pretty they're pretty impressive that is cool. um pocket wizards are always handy i'm trying to think but you know what <laughs> not to dork out too much but i'll tell you what my iphone i have my whole portfolio on my iphone oh nice and and i put the you know i've got the the paintball video on there and we're in the process of doing a couple more videos now and i'm going to put those on there and that's probably been one of the handiest and it's a great sale tool. you know i talked to i, I went to a, an agency and we were talking through a project and they couldn't get their wireless working and they're, they're like oh well we we want it to be kind of like this image you did before and i went hold on i grabbed my phone i flipped through i'm like are you nice. talking about this one <laughs> and they were like yeah exactly and see how that you know we got the you know you can be in the middle of nowhere and i can we can yeah, you know, using your own using your own work for reference to talk about other stuff and things. That, you know, that, that's pro geek, be, man. It can be super handy. That's great. Well, hey, we really appreciate you taking your time out of the in this Christmas season to <laughs> hang out with us and share your knowledge and information with all of our listeners. Anytime, uh, I, re- I appreciate you guys calling. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other LightSource episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the LightSource Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash LightSource. You can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of. And as always, if you missed any of these links, our quick outro here, you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net. Till next time. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocast Network. 
www.thinkdeeply.com. 